Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Thank you for tuning into Dose of Leadership. I hope your summer is winding down. You're looking forward to fall as I am. The weather is turning and it's... Unfortunately, I love summer, but I do love this time of year. I love the temperature. I love the low humidity and the feeling of fall in the air. I just wish winter wasn't so close around the corner. But in the meantime, I'm enjoying this fall weather and I hope you are too, as I hope you're enjoying Dose of Leadership, this great free resource in helping you in your leadership journey. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for being a fan for all of you, all of you that have been with me. Since the beginning, coming up on five years here soon. Today, I'm going to talk to Charlie Nooney. He's the chairman and CEO of Moby TV. He's a seasoned media executive. He's worked with Disney, and he's had a large career, a lengthy career, dedicated to connecting media and mainstream brands with consumers through emerging technology. In this capacity as CEO, he drives the corporate and business strategy to grow distribution, drive adoption, and strengthen the relationships with Moby TV and its strong list of international customers, which mainly includes mobile carriers, but he's moving into cable operators as well. I'm fascinated with this technology and where media is going, so it was a fun conversation to to start off talking about that, but we really get into the meat of what it means to be a CEO and a leader. So even if you're not a CEO, there's some great insights here on some daily personal habits and uh, how... Uh, to become an effective leader. A lot of great leadership nuggets that you can take away in this episode. I know you'll enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by my course, Legacy Leader Blueprint. What is Legacy Leader Blueprint? I talk about it at the beginning of every show, but it is 20 high-impact videos that will allow you to become a true leader of influence. And not only that, if you sign up for the, the Platinum course, 349 a seat, and particularly if you get some folks in your organization, it's always fun. I'm taking uh, groups of people in organizations, sometimes five, sometimes 10 folks, getting ready to do a course with 13 folks here on uh, the next couple of weeks. But it's a great way to take some of your high performers and start beginning to defeat those um, kind of stagnation, that mediocrity that we see in business and in life and start creating high impact cultures of initiative, start building empowered teams with high degrees of implicit trust allow you to plant that seed or those seeds of a culture of leadership because that is the secret sauce toward leading a life and organization full of significance and Legacy Leader Blueprint can help you along the way. Testimonial from one of my recent graduates, Natalie Potter, a human resource director in Lake Arrowhead, California, and she says, and I quote, Legacy Leader Blueprint has made me extremely valuable. Richard Ryerson is a real person who is honest and genuine, and I, I can think of five people like that in my life, and now I've added one more. He is the perfect combination of unconditional leadership and tough love. Legacy Leader Blueprint showed me the tools that I needed for my leadership skills to shine within my organization, and the course has made me extremely valuable for my company and most of all for my family. Thank you for that comment and that testimonial, Natalie. I even heard from Natalie's CEO on the rapid turnaround that she has seen personally in Natalie after taking this course. And you can do the same for you. You can learn more at richardryerson.com and doseofleadership.com and click on the Legacy Leader Blueprint links. You can also go directly to legacyleaderblueprint.com and from there you can sign up for my email mailing list and also get free access to a 20-minute video 
that reveals the top secrets of leadership and also highlights what's involved in this course. I hope to see you on the inside. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Dose of Leadership. Here's the conversation with Charlie Nooney, CEO of Moby TV. Well, Charlie, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. I appreciate that, Richard. I, I appreciate you having me. You know, I'm always fascinated by uh, media and where it's going. I have a good friend here in town, and we were talking about, you know, where uh, media is going and how we're, we're, we're digesting our content these days. How did you get started in this, this uh, field and this spectrum, and, and where do you think it's going? Well, I, I like you. I've always had a fascination with the delivery of media and the consumption of media. I started my career uh, at the Walt Disney Company, um, and I was there for 15 years, uh, basically very involved in the traditional cable business that the Disney Company was building, and really was a great learning ground. I was, as I said, I was there for 15 years and really was a tremendous running, uh, learning ground of, of not only working with an outstanding company and a, a leader in the space, but just really someone who was very uh, aggressively looking at the market and how the market would, would evolve. And, you know, that curiosity carried me through various ventures in the media business. Um, I left the Disney company to go run a company called PRM that was really the first company to ever do media inside of retail locations. We were the retail uh, video partner for people like Walmart and Best Buy and and others, and it was really based on the concept of delivering media inside media locations for people making buying decisions, and that was a great use of a technology that in many ways was ahead of its time and sold that company in 2005, ran the broadcast groups for Technicolor, who was who we sold it to. And then in 2007, you know, uh, I was approached by Moby TV, who had, again, was using a very disruptive, using media in a very disruptive space, uh, mobile devices, and this Moby TV was the first company to put video on mobile devices, uh, which was a incredibly innovative thing at the time because you really were talking about, you know, uh, 2G networks. Uh, you had these little flip phones with, that were the phones of the right. day. This was pre-smartphones, and you had the little tiny screens. But it was fascinating that they were able to deliver media right in someone's hand, and that that really was something I found very intriguing and. It's been an interesting, I've been here 10 years now, it's been an interesting uh, ride to watch the evolution of media from really the first, you know, version of, you know, video on, on smartphones to really what we're seeing now, which is really IPT delivery across all devices. And that really has been what the company has been very focused on for the last few years. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, even watching my daughter even last week where, um, you know, she was binge watching something over the weekend, all on her iPhone six with headphones on. And I started thinking about that. I remember even when, you know, I've, I've always been a, um, a patron of Netflix, you know, even when it was the delivery of the DVD. Yeah. Right? And that was even, you know, nine years ago I was doing that. And I remember when Netflix was making this shift to this kind of pay on demand, I remember even you know, for a while thinking, man, that'll never work. And if and if you remember from the time, everybody was saying, oh, that there's no way that's going to work. And Netflix was kind of on the down and out. And now you look at it, and it's just amazing how fast and rapid it can change. No, and in fact, the, the ones that were saying it wouldn't work the most was Blockbuster. Yeah, and so, you know, exactly. It's right. kind of interesting. I mean, yeah, at the time, I mean, it really does show if you, and, you know, there are a lot of examples in the in the media space, but that one is probably one of the best examples of a company who was very successful and really had a philosophy built on the idea that 
you know, certain ways people want to consume media and, and the experience of media that was didn't evolve. And Netflix had no business getting the foothold they did, and now look at what a juggernaut they are. And I would venture to guess you don't have a blockbuster card in your wallet anymore, do you? It, no. In fact, I didn't even said the word blockbuster in probably a couple of years, but yeah, it, it used to, and it's so true. I mean, it used to be even a decade or 12 years ago, it used to be kind of a weekend ritual. You know, you'd go there and you'd, you'd get some movies and video games and you were set for the weekend. And now it's just, it seems so ancient. No, I mean, go back and you're right. It's not even, it's, you know, 12, 13 years ago, I was told that because I'd done some business with Blockbuster that more people had a Blockbuster card than any other card in the world, including MasterCards and Visa or wow. American Express. And like I said, now you look and it's like, how was that even possible? And, but again, I mean, you know, it's 2020 hindsight's great, but it really is a where you, you it really is one of those examples where you know you just didn't pull the trigger quick enough. You know, and it's almost like I've said it's from an entertainment standpoint. And I think this is why the movie industry is suffering so bad. I think there was in this mindset that we had to have, you know, the big, you know, such a big screen and experience that way. And there's something to be said for that. Don't get me wrong. But there's really not an excuse to go to a theater anymore. I mean, because the content on TV and what these, you know, the Netflix, the Amazons and these other places, are, I mean, there's so much quality storytelling on TV. And, um, I don't. I don't know where it goes, but it's just it's just fascinating to me. No, I, in fact, one of the things that I find most remarkable, and again, being a content guy, and again, I wasn't a, I was on the business side, but, but certainly understood the creative process pretty well. It, it to me, it is remarkable that companies like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. I mean, it, certainly it takes money to do it, but their success in the original programming arena has been extremely impressive because it's happened in a very short period of time. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with, with storytelling, too. I think, you know, it seems like Hollywood is kind of addicted to this idea that you got to have this massive CGI explosion, you know, orgy of violence and explosions. To, to for, That's what people want. And I think people want gripping stories. I don't know. I mean, it's, we're, we're getting kind of off No, topic. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, the risk-taking, and again, I, I'm certainly not a an expert on on. Uh, on cinema, but I I enjoy it. I mean, the the emphasis on storytelling and, you know, the the problem is that, you know, you have to kind of, if you're in the movie business, going with what you consider a sure hit is is really what we're seeing is the onslaught of, you know, some really good quality films around Marvel and, you know, uh, Lucas, et cetera. And so it's not not to to, uh, degrade that, but you really do get in a very sequel kind of mentality, and I think one of the things that's interesting about what Netflix and to a certain degree Hulu and Amazon and others are doing is they are getting back into the storytelling phase of taking chances, et cetera, and, and you know, doing it without the pressure of ratings and some of the things that are that are so driven on traditional television. It's a uh, it's an interesting time. It would be a very interesting time to be a, a creative and looking at all the uh, assets you have available to you. Yeah. Well, from your perspective of being in an industry that has seen such remarkable change, and we've talked about change management quite a bit on this show, and it's certainly it's something as leaders you have to be comfortable with. I think a lot of times from a planning perspective, I see um, in business anyway, my experience has been we see so much time, energy, and resources put on planning, and, and I'm not you know knocking planning. We have to plan, but I think the the, the 
the results or why we plan is is where I'm kind of taking this argument is that I don't think we plan or shouldn't plan from a leadership perspective to to have things you know fall into this linear place where everything you know and we can say look I love it when a plan comes together I think we plan for the inevitable unforeseen and I'm curious from your vantage point as a leader and as a, as a top executive in, the, in this industry, how have you dealt with change, change management, fear, and uncertainty, and how important? Well, how important is it to you? I think you're hitting on. Yeah, I think you're hitting on probably the most important thing from a from a perspective of CEO is really understanding and managing change. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's hard to walk away from various degrees of success in order to embrace change. And I think, you know, we talked about the blockbuster example earlier. Um, you could, you know, because the problem with, not the problem, but the thing about change is you have to embrace it. Right. You can't, you know, keep it at arm's length. And sometimes that calls for very difficult decisions. I mean, certainly, you know, there are great examples of people who have embraced, embraced change and, and done it aggressively and, and, and against odds, see jobs, you know, probably is the one that comes to most people's minds, but, you know, most successful companies have been able to do that. And I think as a, as a CEO in any company, big, smaller, or, or middle size or whatever, it really is a lot of your role is to make sure that you are, you have your head up. Um, a lot of your company will have their heads down, which they should do in terms of execution, in terms of you set of planning and, and, and et cetera. But you need to make sure that you are confident in that you can read the tea leaves to a certain degree and, and if you make a decision, you know, stick with it. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't change your mind. It doesn't mean, but, you know, it's, it changes hard. I mean, it's very hard. And our company is a great example of that. We're not only changing from the fact that we're going from working strictly on, you know, mobile devices and, P and I, uh, iPads and PCs to really getting inside the home and trying to lead through this IPT revolution, but we're doing it with a diff different uh, customer base. I mean, we've been solely focused on carriers, and now we're getting very focused on the cable operators. And so, you know, we not only have to change our, our mindset about being uh, servicing big carrier oper carriers and four or five carriers, but we want to be able to service hundreds of cable operators. And that's a complete mindset change for this company in terms of speed to market, in terms of, you know, quality of product, in terms of, you know, sales versus account management. So, you know, there's a lot of things that come into play that you have to make sure that you're taking into account or otherwise you're just kidding yourself. You can make the change. So how do you do it? How do you keep that, that eye, that vision, the ability to communicate what it is you're trying to accomplish and why without getting drugged down into the day-to-day -day churn? How do you stay above it? Well, the first thing you got to do, there's a couple of things. One thing you got to do is really focus on the product. The evolution of the product will, will create the evolution of the company. And one of the things that, that you do as a, as a CEO, the, probably the greatest litmus test you can have is as you start seeing, particularly in a technical company, you start seeing the people working on the product being excited about it. Because, you know, the great thing about engineering space is incredibly uh, competitive space, so you have to make sure that people are motivated and they're, they're excited about what they're doing. So when you land on that thing where you see people are excited about what they're, they're building and what they're producing, you know you're onto something. And the second thing I always call it keeping your head on a swivel. You've got to make sure you're reading the marketplace. Um, it's very easy to get caught up and say, you know, that, you know, this is going fine and I don't want to break this, I don't want to change this. But you've got to challenge everything. And it's easy to challenge your failure. What you really need to do is sometimes challenge your successes. Mm. And, you know, we were very successful in the carrier business. But, you know, if we had stayed completely locked on that and completely locked on what we were doing, 
we would not be in, we would not be realizing this opportunity. And um, this is the opportunity of the future for the company. What do you do to stay in tune with the marketplace? And I mean, is it is it surveys? I mean, obviously you're reading and and in your surrounding, but how? To me, that seems like as a CEO, that would be um, the primary focus is to stay in tune to what's going on. And then not only that is communicating maniacally to the folks about what's going on and why. But And that's exactly right. I mean, I mean, the way you do it is you just make sure you, uh, you, you know, I, I, I say, the company hates when I use this phrase, but it's an old Southern phrase that I did that I, and I'm from the South is, you know, make sure you're not just sitting there drinking your own bath water because you <laughs> need to make sure that you really are out there talking to people. You're, you're listening, you're seeing trends in the marketplace. You're seeing people that are successful. You're, you're challenging what you're doing. And like I said, if you, if you have that, kind of perspective and you bring a passion of what you are seeing, that passion will translate very easily to the company. If you don't, then you can't, you know, if you don't believe in what you're doing, there's nothing you can do to pretend that you do and, and you know, have the company go along with you. Yeah, I agree with you. How, what is your leadership style? How would you characterize um, on a day-to-day -day your leadership style and philosophy? Well, I think any philosophy and style starts with, with hiring. I mean, it, to me, the most important thing that, that we do is hire and then develop that as, as, as a result of hiring. But if you don't hire well, there's, you, you will fail every time. So, you know, I think one of the things we try to do is put an emphasis on culture, and the culture of the company sometimes is hard to put your hands on. But the thing you want to make sure you do is hire kind of good people, people who at their very core are not jerks or disruptive or, or, or you, know, you know, talent is interesting, but you've got to make sure you're hiring good people. And I think you try to maintain that culture where you are, you know, rewarding teamwork. You're making sure that people are, are feeling like that you're being inclusive in what you're doing, et cetera. But it really all starts with, you know, hiring. And like I said, hiring becomes starts with product and getting people excited about the product so you are able to attract the talent. So it really is just that. I mean, people react to passion. And I think that, uh, you know, as a CEO, you have to be passionate about the product you're developing and the future of the company. Yeah, I agree with you. And I've, I've said on the show many times that talent is a given. We got to be good at something. But we, I think particularly if, we're, if I'm trying to find that right company as a emerging leader or a wannabe leader in a, in a certain organization, I w would hope that people would see beyond just my talent. It's a given. But I, I it's the character qualities. It's the um, tenacity. It's the willingness to um, be a leader in an organization. And so I guess, how do you do that from your perspective? How do you attract, or how do you know you've got the right person? Because, you know, you got a stack of resumes. If you read it, I mean, everybody's qualified. So how do, how do you, how do yeah, you assess I mean, it? A lot of it's so key in terms of the in-person interview. I mean, you know, you kind of begin starting to, you know, making sure that, because you make a good point. Talent is kind of a given. Yeah. I mean, so really what it becomes is, you know, is this person someone that, you know, I want to spend time with? Is this person other people want to spend time with? I mean, you, you're never 100% sure. I mean, you know, because the interviewing process is such, in many ways, an unnatural process. But you just try to make sure that everyone in the company is aware of, look, this is somebody we'll bring into, for lack of a better term, our family. And, that you know, is that person someone who I want to spend time with, who I want to be in the trenches with, et cetera? And if not... Don't be blinded by their talent because there will be somebody else who's a better fit that will be just as talented because it, it is, you know, there are a lot of smart people out there. 
but you know you have to kind of stay stay true to your core principle and you know you don't want to be so culturally um locked in that you that you don't don't change evolve but you look at successful companies i mean Walt Disney company Walmart Apple Google Amazon they have very strong cultures yeah and i think the you're absolutely right i mean the the and i was having a, i was trying to remember who oh it was with a, a client of mine and we were talking about culture this morning and i said you know well you have one whether you like it or not and so you better be intentional about it. That's where the conversation was going. But, you know, it's one of those words. It's kind of like leadership, culture. We hear those words and we think we know what they mean. But what does that mean to you? What does culture mean? What, is, what does an outstanding culture look like to you? And I, I, you really learn about your culture during crisis management. Oh, yeah, I mean, sure. that's really when you learn about mm-hmm. it. I mean... You know, at the end of the day, you know, as an individual, you you, under, you feel like you have a strong culture when you're driving to work in the morning and you don't want to continue to turn the car around. <laughs> right. but, and then, but, but more importantly, you really don't understand your culture or how strong your culture is unless you go through crisis. And every company does. And it's simple things. It's, you know, how people rally together, how they, you know, work late, they work over the weekends. It's important to them. And, you know, you don't want to have a culture built on crisis because that becomes, that's something that can become, uh, overwhelming, but you know every company inevitable has crises that they deal with, and that's when your culture is really tested. Yeah. Well, I love that analogy because it's almost you know it's everything in life, right? It's like you really learn who you are in those those kind of what I call in the mud moments when you're tested, and we're all going to be in the mud at some no, point. It, yeah. At some point, no, you're absolutely right. As an individual, as a spouse, as a parent, as a as, as someone in business, you know, that's really, you know, it's easy to be good, to do well when you're successful. And, you know, it's, and, and success is hard to get. I'm not dismissing it, but you inevitably will, will face crises in your life and your work life, et cetera. And, and how you deal with them talks to your character. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, you know, I put a lot of emphasis on making, you know, that a part of what we do here and hopefully it translates. How do you keep everybody engaged? If you kind of look at your engagement level, it sounds like you, you kind of hinted around it when you're saying about the passion, about the product. To me, that's engagement. How do you how do you keep those engagement levels high? I mean, what do you, as a company, what do you guys do? Well, you got to make sure everybody feels like they're touching the product in some way, important that they own it. I know I, I you know I know I talk about product as a way that is kind of a panacea for culture, but at the end of the day, you know, it's if you're not working on things that excite you and interest you, you, you know, you're not going to bring in bagels and coffee and make all the, everything right. I mean, it really is, you have to make sure that what you are doing, what you are working on is something that gets people excited. And, you know, we're fortunate, we, you know, we, we, we're working on something now that is incredibly disruptive. Now, again, our level of success, how well we'll do, it, it will be interesting to play out, but... You know, we really feel like we're doing something now that is very cutting edge and leading leading edge. And, you know, as a company, as a tech company, certainly one that's been around 17 years, that will ebb and flow a little bit. But right now we have it, we're at a high level of that. And, you know, consequently we've had very little turnover. We've been able to attract good talent. And, you know, people are excited. Now, again, the challenge as a CEO is how do you transition times when people are not excited about the product and not excited about what they're doing, and that's more challenging. And you do that just by sure willpower the best you can. But 
it, it always comes down to what business you are in and how you are addressing that business, and that's you can't lose sight of that because, you know, there are little things you can always do in terms of make sure you're walking around communicating with people that people know where they stand. You know, there are all those little things, but if they if it doesn't translate into I'm really excited when I come to work in the morning that I'm working on this, and whether I'm in finance or HR or marketing or sales or on the tech side or an operation, in some way I'm touching and feeling that thing and seeing the development of it. And one of the things you get into, particularly in a tech company, is if you're not careful, the tech will be so locked within the engineering group that other people can't feel that excitement. So we we try to put an emphasis on making sure everybody understands their role in our success and they feel ownership of what we're doing. Yeah, I love what you're saying. I mean, to me, I contend it's always, if an organization can, can tap into or understand or communicate, that we are part of something bigger than them than ourselves. And I don't care what your product is. I mean, it can be, you know, wind chimes and bird feeders or, you know, something that doesn't seem all that exciting, but you can, you can, if you can somehow get people to understand that, look, this is what's at stake here. There are lives on the line, even if it is just a bird feeder or wind chime coming from China, it doesn't matter. If you can get people to excited about that, we're part of something bigger than themselves, people will go to the ends of the earth. I think that's how how you get engagement. Easy to understand that what I just said, a little more difficult to put into play because maybe maybe you do have a non-sexy product. But yeah, to your point, a disruptive product in this media space where things are changing so rapidly and and people are kind of, you know, rightly or wrongly perceived, feel burned by or or at least trapped by the standard cable and satellite systems, yeah, I can see how people could get excited about that and say, I'm part of something bigger than, than the, something new, something exciting, something disruptive, yeah. Yeah, and again, there's, you know, like you said, it doesn't have to always be a sexy product. I right. Mean, there are probably people that argue with me about this, but at the end of the day, you, you know, I one of my careers, I, I Walmart was my biggest customer. And, you know, you could argue that, you know, is the retail business a sexy business, not a sexy business? I will tell you the the culture that they built in terms of disruption of that business and distribution, uh, the distribution of their products and what they were trying to achieve. It was a massively strong culture in terms of what they were doing. Agreed. Uh, you know the fact that they were they were they were built off a great distribution system and everyday low prices. And you know you would go throughout that organization and everyone bought into the culture. Yeah. And you know maybe selling soap is not that sexy, but. Boy, I tell you, they had a strong culture to make sure they were changing the world, and it was it was actually incredibly interesting to watch. I certainly experienced it at the Walt Disney Company, which again was a massively strong culture. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be, you know. Yeah, like you say, it doesn't have to be a sexy product. It just has to be the belief that what you are building is of quality, and you take pride in it, and you know you understand the bigger picture. Well, that's that that's why leadership is so critical because it, it gets into the the people side of the business. I mean, it, I mean, what we're talking about here is getting people engaged and to get people engaged, they got to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And to get people engaged, that means you've got to focus on recognizing the high performers, you know, celebrating those uh, individuals that are emulating the brand, or at least, you know, um, supporting the, the type of culture you want to emulate. And I think continual, continuous, continual updates, authentic, transparent, vulnerable updates from the senior leadership on where the ship is heading and why it's heading that way to me, that is key, and I think that is probably the big, the, the, the from a, a senior executive or C level suite type mentality. That is the lowest hanging fruit, where you can get the biggest bang for the buck. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? No, I agree. I agree. I mean, again, it it really is, 
and I, you know, I, I, I know this every day that, that people will, when I walk in the building, if, you know, if, at that point in time, I am, my number one role is make sure that I am getting, that I'm excited about what we're doing and making sure everybody else is excited. I mean, you know, sometimes as a, a CEO, if you're not careful, you, you can get caught into the weeds or get drugged down the weeds. I, you know, and I, I just, you know, make sure that goes back to the thing we said earlier, make sure you're hiring good people. Because if you have to be hands on everything, you're going to lose that ability to kind of lead the company. Yeah, I'm always amazed at at the, the demands at your level that that just I can't even fathom the amount of time you're getting. Probably drug in in ten thousand different ways every single day. There's always somebody trying to call you to pitch you something. Um, how do you do it? How do you how do you? I guess I'm what I'm getting at is what are your day to day personal habits to keep keep it sane and keep it effective. Well, I trust my management team. I mean, to, to be perfectly frank, I mean, that's really what I do. I mean, everybody needs to play their position. And, you know, I trust my management team in terms of, you know, if I'm trying to run the finance group, we're in trouble. If I'm running the technical group, we're really in trouble. And so, you know, I, I really trust the team to do their job. And like I said, you know, that allows me to do my job. And, you know, if I've, if I've hired the wrong people, then the failure is on me. So, you know, really what it, it becomes important is making sure that I'm not so obsessed with what, you know, every detail is doing, and I trust the people that I hire. And if I do that, it allows me to do other things. And if I don't do that, like I said, then it's a failure of mine. Amen. You're speaking. I mean, I love what you said. I mean, and and when you hear, when we're talking at, at speed zero here, it's, I mean, yeah, why isn't everybody doing it? You know, it still amazes me when I see uh, people not doing that. I understand why, I guess. It's because to your point, what you said, I mean, it's so easy to get drugged down into the, the minutia. And if pressure's on and you're not meeting numbers and for whatever reason, you're just getting overwhelmed with events, circumstances, wrong people, whatever, I, I can see how um, how when, when things aren't going wrong, we start to insert ourselves lower and lower. And when we insert ourselves lower and lower, we dispense the efforts of those who probably should be doing the real work and we just increase our burdens and it becomes this kind of vicious cycle. So, it's no, a- I, I agree completely. There's many a meeting that, that I recognize very early on. I am not adding anything to this meeting and let people do what they do. And you're right. I mean, where it really comes to a head is during crisis time period because your natural tendency is to, and you do to a certain degree, you need to because you're facing a crisis, but don't, don't not trust your instincts in a crisis. I mean, they are inevitable. And if everything that you believe in and everything that you've built around you, if you're going to throw it all out the window at the first sign of trouble, then a you're when you if you were fortunate enough to get out of that crisis, no one's going to everybody's going to feel worse for wear, and you've actually created a bigger long-term problem for yourself if you if you don't trust the people to as, as a team to help guide through it. Yeah. Who are your um, I don't know your heroes, your mentors, people you looked up to as you were coming up the ranks. Well, I've been very fortunate. I mean, at the end of the day, I could not have picked a better company to come up the ranks to than the Walt Disney Company. Sure. And, you know, during that time frame, I had several really good bosses and people from the top down that were really just great to learn from. And, I mean, it, like I said, I was there for a long time. And, you know, I was there during the Eisen years. I saw Iger come in and, you know, do some great things. And so I was really fortunate to be able to learn from a lot of good people. And so, you know, I've just tried to take away – bits and pieces from everybody I've been in contact with or have worked for or worked with and 
you know, I've learned from good seeing things done well. I've learned from watching people do things not so well. And, yeah. um, you know, so, I mean, I would probably do a disservice if I named, you know, any one individual. But clearly when I was at Disney, it was a very uh, immersive learning experience for me in terms of, of, of the people that I worked with there. When you were coming out of college or start just starting in your career, did you ever think this is what you'd be doing? No, 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 not at all. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in Alabama. I was the first kid. Of, of, I was the first person in my family even to go to college. So it was, you know, the whole concept of going to college was very far to, 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 to my family. And, you know, I was just, you know, thinking I wasn't thinking that far ahead. But, but I was fortunate. You know, I actually was able to get into a, get into a, a medium and a, a business that I really had a passion for and, and that passion grew over time. And, you know, a lot of it's just luck. I mean, you know, I never discount luck in, in, in life. And, you know, you have to take advantage of situations, and I think I took advantage of some lucky situations I was put in. But, you know, you, um, you got to make sure you understand that how fortunate you are sometimes and how lucky sometimes you are that you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah, but I think, too, that the mindset to, to be receptive to that luck because we all get, you know, it all comes our way. Uh, we just have to be willing to go through those doors. Or, first of all, recognize when that door hits you in the face and then be willing to go through it, even though there's unknowns on the other side. And I would contend that's probably been a lot of what your life has been. No, there's, and again, not one of your listeners will, will, will recognize the individual I'm talking about, but there was a picture for the New York Yankees back in the uh, Babe Ruth era called Lefty Gomez. And he had one of the great quotes that I that I that stuck in my head for some reason. He goes, "The harder I work, the luckier I get." And <laughs> right. I think that's the truth. It is true. I think you got to be prepared for. I think I, again, it's kind of breaking the mindset. I know I've had to do this. I'm even doing it with my uh, daughters as they enter the college realm. For whatever reason, we're kind of drummed in thinking that we have to do these linear progression, do these things, and we have to do them. If not, our life isn't going to be successful. And if you look at, I mean, it's it's countless, the people that have ended up leading very significant lives, um, it never turned out exactly how they planned. But if there was a, if there was a constant there, it was tenacity and the willingness to um, get out of the comfort zone and be uncomfortable and, and try things that frightened you. I mean, I oh think- no, I could, that I could, I could not agree more. I mean, at the end of the day, that to me is really. I mean, every first of all, everything comes. You're not going to be successful. If you don't work hard unless you're. Right. I don't know who you would be. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, every the basis of hard work is what separates people. Uh, separates people, but you, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, being able to not, not only recognize the fact that you know. This is your opportunity to take advantage of it. To, to, and you do see it in your kids. It's, it's funny you brought up your daughters. And, you know, when the, I have four sons. The two of them are I'm still at home and two of them are in the workplace. And you know, I take great pride in their success in work because, you know, those that that lesson of hard work kind of holds true. And um, it's, you kind of know, you, you kind of feel good that you maybe did the right thing when you see them being successful and working hard and, and making sure that they are grateful for the opportunities they have. Well said. You know, Charlie, I, one of the, the great benefits of this show is that I get to meet individuals who are doing things that I think um, from a leadership perspective um, in this kind of crazy, hectic 
um, media driven uh, biased world, you know, behind the scenes, there's so many, I've met so many great leaders on this show that are doing the right thing uh, that aren't necessarily getting a lot of the fanfare or the attention, but, and you definitely fit that bill, Charlie. And it's been such an honor to have you on the show. You seem like the type of leader that, that truly gets it. And I just can imagine people that are working for you and, and for your company, it, it's gotta be a joy to work for. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, that's very nice of you to say, Richard. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. How can people get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing uh, as we close up here? Just go to our website, MobyTV.com, and uh, you know they can learn about us from there. And, and uh, you know, hopefully, we'll be coming to a cable system <laughs> near you soon. Very good, Charlie. What an honor to have you on the show. Thanks so much, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you. Welcome to the Dose of Leadership Tribe. Great. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access to my online leadership course. That's legacyleaderblueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.